Hey there, my name's Mark McCartney and welcome to the What Is A Good Life podcast. Over the last two years, I've interviewed over 150 people around this question, not to provide you with the universal answer, but to help you find and define your own answer to this question. On the 26th episode of the What Is A Good Life podcast, I'm joined by Angela Kerwin, who is a writer, speaker, campaigner, a former social care worker, and author of the acclaimed book, Criminal, How Our Prisons Are Failing Us All. In this episode, Angela shares with us her journey towards experiencing more comfort in her own skin, from mainly focusing on hitting big goals to observing what actually makes her feel content, namely community and a common purpose. We discuss her process of observing, understanding and accepting her experience with ADHD through therapy, as well as the life lessons around vulnerability and authenticity she witnessed from facilitating men's groups in prison. While she also highlights the importance of appreciating the nuance and complexity in others in order to afford ourselves more compassion. If you are presently being hard on yourself, experiencing negative self-talk, or you feel like you're on a constant treadmill to earn your own self-acceptance, this episode will give you plenty to contemplate, as well as providing a number of paths and perspectives to cultivate greater empathy for yourself. Look, I enjoyed the hell out of this conversation with Angela and it gave me lots to contemplate in my own relationship with self-acceptance as I'm sure it will for you too and if you enjoy this conversation please like share and subscribe and if you're listening to this on the podcast platforms please leave reviews as I'd greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey so without further ado the 26th episode of the what is a good life podcast Angela, thank you so much for joining me today on the What is a Good Life podcast. As I mentioned just in our pre-chat there, I just discovered your work last week. Um, I was really interested in what you were exploring with your book and, and the direction your life seems to be taking. So I'm very grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. So Angela, as I have the habit of asking, the first question is, is there a question you're trying to answer as you move through life? Yeah, that's the big question. And I have spent a little time kind of pondering it and figuring out if there's kind of one universal question I'm asking at the moment, because I'm always asking a million and one questions. And actually, there is this massive theme that I've come up with. And I'm at the moment, trying to address questions around how does change happen? And this is all, this is kind of related to um, change on a macro level, change in society and change of cultures. Um, But then also because of previous work I've done um, in prison, in kind of social care settings, how does change happen on an individual level when someone wants to rehabilitate and change their lives? And then finally, like from a, from a personal point of view, um, the latest manuscripts I've been working on for the past five months is all about kind of my journey with ADHD and this kind of desire that I seem to have had my whole life to like, I want to change the way my brain works And whilst writing about that, coming to a point of realization that maybe change isn't what's needed on a personal level, there are other deeper things that are needed. So that's kind of the overall question, like how do we change? Why do we change? What do we want to change? Jeez, I'm a bit (laughs) spoiled here. I don't don't know where to take it. I don't know where to take it. well, just the, the last part you said, and and I think you've just given us enough here to, to explore for the next hour or so anyway, but can you, 
because what you're saying there, although it, maybe the the experience isn't, you know, I'm I'm not looking at my mind from the point of of the perspective of ADHD, so I'm not saying I know what that's like, but the sense of oh, do I am I looking to change something or or what else is coming up there instead of in, in instead of it being an absolute sense of change must occur here. Yeah, and I do. I think this is quite a universal journey. Um, this kind of questioning, who am I? Like, am I living the life I want to be living? Um, and I think that came up for a lot of people, especially when the pandemic gave everyone a couple of seconds to kind of reflect on where they were in life. Um, and I've, I've kind of, in a very positive way, has blown up my life like several times before. Like I've changed career, <laughs> I've changed countries. Um, I've, yeah, I've changed focus on everything. And I've kind of spent the past year working on this idea of this manuscript and then writing it um, all around, like, who am I expecting to become by changing all these things? And why am I not happy with who I am now? Um, And that's been a really, really interesting journey um, where... Yeah, I don't think it I don't think it's just ADHD related at all, but this idea where I wasn't addressing the actual things I should have been addressing. Um uh, I was just kind of looking to move forwards and like change and do the next thing and and see what I could achieve instead of really reflecting on who I was and where I was now. So I do, yeah, I do think it's like a really universal thought as well. Yeah, but it but it's um I don't know, there's something so lovely about this notion, though, isn't there? Like almost a realization of who am I, like, what am I saying about myself if I'm saying that I have to do all these things and these are all the things that I need to work on? I I don't know, I I have a real sense, like, because I've, you know, I've gone from really, okay, seeing a therapist, then to meditation, to journaling, to fasting, to locking myself in dark rooms, to psychedelics, whatever, like, you know, and... And thinking, I don't know, always kind of thinking that there was somewhere to improve to or to overcome or something like that. Uh, and to me, there's something, something seems to be missing in this whole pursuit of a better version of ourselves. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what your thoughts are. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that, I don't think there's anything like, intrinsically wrong with me wanting to better myself or wanting to like achieve these big big goals um and I have achieved like really cool big things but if they're coming from a place of me wanting to escape who I am or not address who I am then then there's always something underneath that that I think you need to kind of look at and be honest about and I think that's kind of a process I've been going through um whilst focusing on on writing and whilst focusing on this journey um, through ADHD. And it feels really, really nice to be sat with myself um, and really kind of feel at home in that for the first time. Um, and it feels really great. And that doesn't rely on any of these big achievements or any of these like trying new things. It's just a real like comfort in my own skin which is very new and very liberating. 
Oh, that sounds so lovely. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, in, and I in, think we're all like we're all like trying to get there and just trying to figure out our way, way to get there. I think. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you kind of outline then, um, maybe even just not the not necessarily the manuscript or anything like that, but just maybe your own journey in terms of how you're coming to these realizations, or, or kind of even just a, a summary of that process. I think that. Um, yeah, on a, on a really personal level, I'm not very good in life without real big goals to work towards. I think without something that's like a relatively short term goal of like six months, one year, um, that can kind of keep me structured, keep me focused and keep me interested. If I don't have that, I start like flailing and that's when, um, I start to, not really feel good about myself um so I was kind of okay what big goals can I do now like I published my book last year what can I do next and I thought like I'm gonna um I'm gonna become like the best skier in the world this was one of mine I'm gonna become fluent in Italian this year I'm gonna um I'm gonna like lose weight get a six-pack all the usual stuff um and decided to kind of embark on this process of just ultimate self-improvement um and what I found at the end of it, and it's really nice we're talking now because I've just kind of like tied up the conclusion and figured out what I found, um, is that actually the connection and community, um, the people around me doing things that I find purposeful and meaningful in my community and in the world are like the things that really bring me contentment and joy and it's not about um these big cool achievements and it's not about um it's not about doing what you think you're being told you should do if you're looking at social media or if you think people your age should be doing um it's it's building connection with people and and I think connection with the wider world as well I've really um I've really found myself back engaged in um, the campaigning community in in the world of kind of social justice and prison reform and realizing that that doing things outside of yourself are actually the things that make life really good. And I think like all the kind of top tips on how to be happy always tell you this, don't they? But I was like, oh, I'll just drink like a green smoothie and I don't know, go, and go <laughs> skydiving instead. Um, but actually just like doing some volunteering and being a nice person actually makes life a lot nicer. Yeah, it's it's a wonder though what kind of keeps us away from that, right? Because like, it's, you know, since time immemorial, like whether we go to any kind of major religious scripts, like which would have been created the prevailing culture for centuries and now even psychological studies will, will tell us uh, the benefits of giving or volunteering. And yet, I, I, don't know, they're, they're, I think we've got a little bit lost in our pursuit to know ourselves or, or something like this, that it becomes quite an individual thing. And, and of course, look, I think when someone gets content enough with themselves, they do naturally kind of expand into the world to some degree. But I, I don't think many people complete the arc of contentment with, with myself and now back out into the world. You know, it's just kind of like they just kind of get stuck on the working on themselves part almost. Yeah, and I think that 
that does kind of turn you in on yourself. And that's definitely the journey I think I've been on. Um, and I think it is really alluring because kind of just doing some nice volunteering and this kind, you know, quite kind of asking if your neighbor's okay and needs you to go and do the shopping. Those kind of things seem really simple. So we think they mustn't work, but they're also actually quite hard to do in comparison to buying products or, um, or, or the quick fixes um, that look really sexy. I think like, I think the actual like community connection, it's not, it's not sexy, is it? It's not Instagrammable. It's not, it's not postable. It's just, um, it's just out there living. And I think that's where perhaps we get a little bit lost. Yeah. When you, um, when you were kind of observing this, uh, this idea of like, you know, change on the, the macro level, societal level uh, on myself, uh, people in reform as well, mm-hmm. just even, I guess, first of all, from your, your own process, like obviously as someone who likes to set big goals, who's, you know, achieved, achieved different things, moved from a life, uh, blown up your life a few times, as you say, like where, like, where are you even in terms of how much you think you're in control of your own change? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I like to think quite a lot. I like to think that there is control there and I can continue to work and do the work on um, being the best version of myself possible. But... Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. Perhaps there are, um, no, there definitely are kind of systems and structures in place that that impact my life way more than I probably give them credit for. Um, but I've not really ever thought about it like that before. I think when I talk about kind of real macro systems um, and wondering how we can change those. So I... Um, I did work in prisons and I worked in social care for a really long time and I left because I was unable to do my job in that system. I think the system itself is like flawed and failed and um, just makes the world a much less safe place for everyone and kind of ruins the lives of everyone who comes into contact with it. So I left to write about systemic change, about how we need to alter these huge, huge systems in society. Um, But the reason I talk about that in terms of change now is because I think for all the campaigning, for all the lobbying and the work that people have been doing for decades on this, change hasn't come. And things. I think most people who work in the social justice sphere or the prison reform sphere would say things are probably getting worse. So I'm thinking about this in terms of what does it take to change the mindset of a country? What does it take to change the mindset of a government? And I don't think there are any real answers to that yet. I think with trying to kind of like link these two ideas back together with me kind of discovering the importance of connection and community um, for my own kind of growth, I think I've discovered that that's the only way we're going to get huge macro 
systems change as well. It's there's going to have to be kind of grassroots community action and community um, lobbying to make change on a bigger scale. And it's now trying to figure out how to how to marry those two ideas together to be part of that conversation or like facilitate that conversation in the wider community. And I know that probably didn't answer your question at all. No, 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 no. But I, but I think it like I, I don't know. I, I, I think it says something in terms of just as much as we kind of like to. I think in sometimes in like kind of self development circles, we kind of like to paint ourselves as the the master of our own universe, and mm-hmm. you know that we're we're absolutely driving driving the change. But there is something really beautiful, I think, about this idea of like it's you know almost that I, that expression uh, takes a village to raise a child like yeah. there is something beautiful about this uh, as much as we can be accountable and as much as we can try to improve ourselves there is something about pushing up against a bit of a boundary if our environment or our community isn't also in, engaging or 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 kind of playing with us as well mm-hmm. um you know you mentioned uh you mentioned just something that I, I was really intrigued about when you said uh, then even from the point of view of reform or change for someone who's who is uh, who would have been incarcerated mm-hmm. as well. Just from the people that you spoke to, like, did you see many people kind of almost uh, transcend their experience, like in terms of the system and them being able to create some form of change for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I worked with like some of these guys, I worked with them on and off for like five years and got to know them quite well. Um, And I think, I think what we would typically measure as success is like someone goes out of prison, they have a house, they have a job, they never commit crime again. And unfortunately, that's like, not a lot of people who leave prison that happens to. Um, And I think there's lots of reasons to explain that around homelessness around the job market around um, all sorts of things but I think I did see very often moments of people trying to be better than this moment of their worst behavior Um, people showing a better version of themselves day after day than the person or the person they were at that moment they committed the crime they were incarcerated for. And you can see that in incredibly small ways. Um, And maybe they couldn't see it themselves in the same way. I don't think I can see my own development and change and it has to be mirrored back to me by my friends and family sometimes. But yeah, I think there were, there are moments of hope and joy and a belief that you can um, escape your surroundings when you're incarcerated or escape your life that makes incarceration kind of a, a byproduct of that. And I think especially when I worked in substance misuse, I think seeing people who I don't know I don't know the language people would use, maybe overcame addiction, people were in recovery. Um, and then hearing them talk about their experiences and kind of provide peer support to to other people really did have profound transformations um, in ways that like I didn't 
I, I couldn't even comprehend within myself. But I think the the really nice thing about hearing people talk about their experiences when they're in recovery is that most people don't say like, I am a new person, I have reinvented myself. I think the overarching feeling is one of like returning home to yourself. It's like yes. being the person you are in the first place. And I think that's kind of with me um, really kind of, because I've known about ADHD since I was 18, but I've never done anything about it. But for me, kind of, instead of distracting myself with all these um, other activities, dealing with that has brought me to this place where I'm like, oh, this is who I am and that's okay. And it feels like home now. And that's how I hear people who change their lives in um, in custody talk about it too. And it feels... Um, it feels like the kind of the the aim in life. I think. I think it feels like a good place to aim for. Yeah, and I, I guess for for people uh, who will be only listening to this, I, I think there's a real big kind of glowing smile on your face, and there's a big smile on my face as you're describing this thing as well. There is something really lovely about the the sense of going home, like coming home, and and I, I think even in the way that we talk about self-improvement, if you get me, is it's very much, I'm becoming a new person. I'm, but I, I've been having this thought more often. I think it's more about stripping out parts of yourself that you are not. And typically we're trying to add on parts um, then, then really just come back to a place of what's truly ourselves and, and accepting that. So I, I think that's that's really nicely put. The, the idea then though, again though, of I love this sense of, and, Jesus, what a what an unbelievable um, development for anyone to to like no longer f uh, be addicted to a substance mm -hmm. in the context of prison, and then within the community of prison, then reaching out to people and and helping them as well. But there again, uh, this kind of thing of community popping up again. <laughs> you know, you yeah. you do your own bit, and then you almost it seems what seems to be able to sustain someone then could be the purpose, the commitment to, to the community after you've maybe returned to yourself. Absolutely. And when I, yeah, when I worked in social care in prison, I don't think I was like phenomenally good at my job or anything. I think that what I did was I facilitated groups almost every day. I facilitate like group therapy sessions that we just, a group of 15 guys and me, and we chat about our feelings one hour a day. And I barely talked in those sessions um I wasn't teaching anyone anything it was the sense of like peer support um and um speaking to people who understand your experience and are willing to listen to it um and being able to like speak your truth out loud because I think often a lot of people don't actually know who they are or what they're thinking until they start to talk about it um and it just it just helped so much and it created a place of safety where people could be vulnerable inside such a such a kind of horrible hostile environment where vulnerability is weakness and you can't show that um and that kind of i've been delivering lots of talks about the book in the past couple of months and maybe that's what's got me thinking about this but if the men that i worked with could be so vulnerable in such an environment then I need to um, be brave enough to kind of speak about the things that I'm passionate about and care about and 
be brave enough to to reach out to people in the world and build connections and and try to to really get more involved in these causes that I care about because there's nothing really that scary about doing that in comparison to opening up about your emotions and vulnerabilities amongst 15 other men inside a prison. So, um, yeah, I think the the bravery of that and the strength in that has really inspired me. Yeah, it's, um, there is, uh, I'm part of, uh, facilitating men's, uh, circles, um, on a weekly basis and geez, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of fathom that inside a, a prison, uh, like in so far as that even men in quite uh, secure and safe environments, uh, we men can still find it difficult to speak about their emotions, let alone where you think it's almost like in contradiction to the setting that it, that it exists within. Um, this is a... What just out of interest? What was that experience like? Uh, I know you're saying you you didn't have to talk much in it, but what was that experience like of of facilitating um, um, men's men's vulnerability um, in in such a setting? I think it was the best job in the world, and um, and yeah, and I only stopped doing it because the system is just crushing. Um, but the people, I think that I think. I sound like I'm going to be like really like over the top here and gushing, but like it's an absolute honor to have been trusted to listen to people's stories um, and to be trusted that it was a safe space to share your story. Um, And I think because of the way that, other group members kind of held this space. This was this was our this was our little basement, and it was a safe space. And you don't come in to mess around, and you don't come in to fuck around, and therefore it it remained that way. It built a culture that meant that everyone just took it seriously, and um, and it and the peer support also leads to you don't have to just support people you can challenge people you can challenge people appropriately and you can say when you disagree with people and that happened a lot too and that didn't have to come from me because all other group members don't want to sit and have an hour of their time wasted by someone just absolutely chatting shit everyone everyone wants to get something out of this hour of their time um so it was just yeah a pleasure 99 percent of the time yeah and then the, uh, the like, when you're talking about then showing or that being an example to you and, and showing up in your life, how has that, uh, how has that kind of altered your, your approach? So I think this is a really like interesting thinking about my life with hindsight that, so essentially, yeah, I'd say like three or four days a week, sat and listened to people talk about their feelings and how they dealt with their feelings and what they were going to do to make their lives better. And I wasn't allowed to say anything like boundaries in prison, super strict. I don't share anything about my personal life, but I think it actually had this huge impact on me to start reflecting on like, am I happy with my life? Um, Because I'd be speaking to people who were committing crime after crime to support a crack addiction. And instead of saying to them, like, don't do crack, 
my approach was, okay, like if you really want to do crack, do crack, but, but just accept that it means you're now going to be in the basement classroom of a prison with me. You're going to be in this environment for the next six months of your life. And I'm not, I get to go home. And if, and if that's a sacrifice you're willing to make, like accept that. But if it's not, you, you've got to change something. You need to be honest with yourself. And that was my approach to them. And then I'd go home and be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing what I, I'm not, I'm not living my life. So when I left prison, when I, when I was like, nope, the system is done, it's broken. um, I like full on left. I ran away to France and was like, I'm just going to go skiing for six months. I'm going to become like a mountain triathlete explorer um, and completely, completely blew up my life. And I think a lot of it was in part listening to people being honest with themselves about how they felt and knowing that I authentically wasn't doing that in my own life oh wow that's uh that's a hell of a thing to learn isn't it yeah yeah um yeah I probably could have just like just gone on holiday or something <laughs> like, I could have just like had a little break um uh, you're, you're yeah. talking to a man who's, who's quit a job in London and gone off to India for four months and then yeah. quit a job in Vancouver and gone to Peru for a year so um I, I don't know I think it's also part of the process right yeah like no no absolutely absolutely I was just gonna say I agree that I I don't think that was like the conclusion or the end of the journey I think that's kind no, of no, like no. this first step to exactly where yeah. I am now and and I suppose when I say now I'm like content with myself, this is by no means like the finish line. This is like a work in progress every day. Um, and yeah. I'm sure there's going to be lots more to come. But it, I can see now this kind of rhythm of the journey, like from that point forward. Yeah. But I think this is, um, there's such a, I, I think what this sounds like a bit of an indictment in the way that we usually converse with people. Like, one of the like one of the reasons even why I wanted to start this podcast was I just wanted to if there's one thing that I feel I have a decent handle on in my life is that I have genuine conversations with mm-hmm. and I and I I I taught I share genuinely you, you know what I mean like I'm not trying to sugarcoat what my experience is whether that's saying that things are unbelievable or that's saying I'm stressed or I'm angry or I'm sad whatever it may be but I th- I think it's so unfortunate that our style of conversation leads itself to such like deception or that we're allowed to hide so much you know and we can kind of hide in plain sight and then it gets almost so pervasive that like you know you you headed off to France I headed off to India like you know there's such um you can get to a place where even if you think I I I would have classified myself as somewhat of a thoughtful person but I like I I knew so little about myself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, like if we're, if, if I know so little about myself, then how the hell can I have full, like great relationships with myself and indeed with other people as well? Yeah. And I think that's kind of the conclusion I've come to that this kind of wanting to be someone else, wanting to like reinvent yourself and, you know, new year, new me it. Um, how can I get to a position of being like this new me if I haven't a clue who this this current me actually is? Um, and from spending time 
in prison, in these groups and in one-on-one with people, I think, I mean, I've got no answer of how you get there, but the only thing I can see is like talking, is conversation, is, is opening, because I think not only are we not like honest or maybe not, not honest, but not, um, not deep in our conversations. We're superficial in our conversations, but not only are we like that, like with other people, with the world, I think that's like with ourselves too. Um, and I think with all the distraction and noise and just life getting in the way, you can quite easily go a long time with not having conversations with yourself as well. Um, and maybe this is where I think the pandemic did a did a bit of a, you know, lots of my friends quit their jobs or had babies or broke up their relationships. I think it was a time that just gave a little moment of of quiet to to not be distracted, perhaps, and be able to think about that a little bit more. Yeah, there's um I I did it. There's a, a lovely kind of sense here as well, though, of um it's I, I I like the way you didn't describe it as it's not like it's lacking honesty. I, I think that we've almost we've lulled ourselves into a way of communicating that's just become so typical that we're not even aware when we're not even you know, and we're not even aware of where we are exactly. And then I love this idea you have too then of like so if I'm trying to go from a place where I don't fully know myself into an improved version of myself, yeah. like how many layers am I creating between where I, who I am, what I actually am, and not even knowing what I want to evolve into? You know, and, you know, there's. And I think that it's always going to be built on like shaky foundations, uh, whatever yeah. you kind of put on top of that as well. Just. I, I, just out of curiosity then, you know, when you, you mentioned even your, your own journey in terms of this specifically then with, with ADHD yeah. and, and then kind of seeing that as something that, that's, uh, that's a part of you, like how, can you describe how, how that evolved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, set all my big goals for the year, decided I was going to do like every New Year's resolution possible in the space of 12 months. And this was the best idea ever. Um, and it really was like, I achieved some good stuff. I also broke my leg in 17 places while skiing as well in the process. Um, but I just kept trying to busy myself and all the while there was just like real negative self-talk constantly. So no matter what it looks like on the outside, there is just this internal monologue of like, you're not good enough at this. You're an imposter at that. Um, you're an idiot for breaking your leg skiing, which yeah it was a complete idiot it was my fault um but everything was just really negative in my mind and it and it wasn't it wasn't impacted by what was going on externally like things could be going really great and it'd still be the same or things could be going really badly and it was still the same it it wasn't about what was happening in my life it was just my brain blaming me for anything I did wrong um And then, yeah, so as part of this process of I'm going to be the best version of myself, started therapy, and I thought I was doing it in that really, like, L.A. American way, where I was like, I'm just going to have therapy because I want to protect my mental health because I look after my body, too. I'm like, fucking hell, therapy's great, isn't it? (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) And I hate it. I hate admitting it because I hate being one. I I did it as a job for years. Do you know what I mean? Like, I did this for a job. And I told everyone like, oh, you should talk about your feelings. I was like, but not me. Like, I'll just go and like do an Ironman. I don't need to do that stuff. 
Um, yeah, therapy's great. And it helped me start to see patterns that I'd never recognized in myself before. And in seeing those patterns, it made me address that actually these patterns are really symptomatic of this, this thing I was like told I had when I was 18 um, and never bothered getting like formally diagnosed, never bothered doing anything like that. And seeing the patterns made me kind of formalize that diagnosis um, and then start to actually learn what it was because I think I didn't even know what it was. I just thought like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a bit hyperactive and impulsive. And and when I started to like look into it and see that, oh, wow, actually this is symptomatic of this, I didn't even need to learn coping strategies to improve these parts of me. Just the knowing that there was like a name for it and it wasn't just in my mind and there was like, this is a symptom and this describes time blindness and why you can never like figure out what date it is or why you why you are, are incapable of leaving the house without losing things. And suddenly it just removed all that like self-blame and has made me just see myself through much kinder eyes. Um, yeah, so so that's the process. And um, that's how I got here. Is uh <laughs> Is that seeing yourself through kinder eyes? Is that a, is that getting more comfortable? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think um I think people don't quite believe me at the moment when I'm saying it when I'm like, no, like I I, I can't say like, oh I like I love myself, but when I'm like, no, I think I'm all right. Um yeah. and, and and knowing that that's an honest thing that I truly feel is yeah, it's 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 a weird experience because I'm not sure a lot of people can really like honestly say that. Yeah. About themselves. You know, I, I agree with this as well. And, and I think even um, from my own experience, I think there's like, um, you know, when you start saying it, it's, it's almost like that there's like a, not a resistance to it, but like a, are you are you pulling my leg? Like, is this actually yeah. happening? Because I think there's almost like a confusion to it, I think, because we've thought for so long that the way that I was going to get there was achieving perfection. Mm-hmm. like Or that just like I was smashing every goal. Everyone was just telling me all the time I'm wonderful. I walked through a door and confetti <laughs> is thrown yeah. in the air. Do, do you know what I mean? And then for it to happen when, um, when it to happen, Without all that, um, you know, you're talking about still achieving different things and all that. So I'm not saying that there's none of that, but um, I think it is kind of confusing for us to get our head around. Yeah, that that in just like the day to day mundane life, you can feel that way. Um, yeah, I've got like a couple of people I know who are like that, and I'm just yeah. I think I've always spent my life looking at them, being like, they're just so at peace with themselves, and you can really see it. Um, the the being content in the moments where there's not like adulation or there's not like big external things going on is, I suppose, the my goal or a goal in life. Yeah. Is this uh, at what point did you feel kind of compelled to to write about this investigation? Like, 
so I write like every day, all the time anyway. Um, I never wrote my first book to be published. I just wrote it because I love writing and it's kind of pre-therapy, like how I just get all my thoughts out on the page. Um, This book, it started as just this journaling of this really funny journey of trying to do lots of New Year's resolutions and trying to, it was supposed to be really funny. Um, And what's actually happened is as I kind of like put together lots of journals um, that I've read, it then becomes this kind of like, you know, dark night of the soul um, in the middle. So I suppose I started actually forming all my ideas around this into a book that um, is quite serious now and has like lots of um, lots of kind of data and information in it, as well as like lots of conversation around the the psychiatric diagnoses of even what is neurodiversity and like does medication actually work and I'm kind of doing lots of research around that that kind of thing process has started in January this year yeah and since and I um my deadline I gave myself is tomorrow tomorrow night so it, it should be finished apologies for the interruption <laughs> no, don't worry at all. I, there's no way I can write during the daytime ever it's it's going to be a nighttime a nighttime edit tonight Okay, so there's no glancing at your watch, like, yeah, wrap this up. <laughs> in in terms then of just what was the what was the impetus even then for writing the first book? I know you were saying you wrote it, maybe not even with the, the goal of being published. Like, what was the, I, I know you were working in this space, you were hearing all these stories, um, you know, you're writing all the time, you're saying anyway. Mm-hmm. What, what was that like? Uh, what was the process like to towards um even publishing that then? So the initial idea for that was that the wisdom and intelligence that I was kind of privy to in this classroom every day, um, I thought it needed to be shared with the wider world. And I kind of came up with this concept that like these guys have got nothing to do all day, but like sit and think and think about their lives and think about what, what it means to have a good life and, and think about where they've gone wrong and what they would do differently. And it was incredible to hear like they, they knew what to do. They had all the answers. They just couldn't like implement it themselves yet. So I kind of wanted to share that wisdom in my writing to begin with. Um, and what actually happened, it, I don't think I've ever plotted anything I've written in my life. I just have to write hundreds of thousands of words and then hope that there's a book in there somewhere. Um, and because what it actually became was these stories of individual men within the prison system, like stories of their background, where they came from, what they were in for. Um, and then by demonstrating like the humanity of the majority of people in prison. So we hear about kind of all the notorious prisoners. We hear about the very dangerous people, but we don't hear about like the 95% of people in prison who will one day be released back into our communities and usually aren't in for particularly serious offenses. And I wanted to share their stories and then relate it to 
the the macro level problem in our society so is it our mental health services and how we treat people with mental health issues or is it the fact that like one in four men in prison has been in care so how if if the care system is failing that means the state is failing and if we as taxpayers as members of society are the state that means we're failing in our role as parents to children in care so I try and use their stories to show that these are these one example of just this huge issue that we all need to care about um and that's what it became in the end and I think I finished it and like showed it to my mum and she was like God, this is really good. And my mum, my mum's like an <laughs> avid reader. My mum reads like four books a week and she will read anything and everything. Um, and there was something about showing it to one person. I don't think I've ever shown my writing to like anyone before. I've wrote a few articles here and there, but nothing like this that I really, really care about. And then showing it to one person kind of broke the floodgates where I was like, right, okay, like I'll show it to other people. I'll see if other people think it's good. And after I got a little quite a you know, little bit of good feedback um sent it off to agents and my goodness the publishing world is a crazy crazy old world to understand and I don't think I do very well but I was incredibly lucky and got an agent I think half of that in publishing is skill and half of it is chance like um I got a great agent and I she packaged my book really well and we went out to publishing houses and a few different people were interested and and yeah and that's kind of the process and it was all very new to me and afterwards now I realize how um, rare it is to have a journey like that like I wrote a book I didn't even want to publish I got an agent I got a publishing deal it's it's so rare and I'm so so lucky to be in that situation um, and yeah, but it also sounds though that you you captured something really unique. I I love the perspective, you know, of trying to capture like you were saying. I was, I was observing all this wisdom, um, and just the I don't know. Like we we have all these kind of labels that we put on people, and 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 we don't look for wisdom in certain places. You, you know, if someone's revered such and such, it doesn't matter what they're like in their personal life. We could, if we didn't, if we weren't aware of it, we could think, oh, they're, they're a very wise person or something like that. But I, I, I love this idea that you were just, in, there was no barrier to you perceiving what you were, you know, the, no barrier to you perceiving the, the wisdom that was inherently there. Yeah. And it's funny because when I talk about this subject, I'm like, I don't, I think 99% of the pre, pe- people in prison are not bad people. I think they might have done a bad thing. And I'm really able to see the nuance and the shades of gray in other people. Yet with myself, as you were saying, like I've got to be a perfect person or I've got, or I'm a failure. Um, yeah. And it, it's that seeing nuance in other people is just, this is what's so important to, to change. This is what's so important to, to our communities because if we become just completely polarized and like I am a person who believes this and I'm not willing to debate it or I'm um I'm a good person and they are a criminal and that's the way it is it just leaves no space for these shades of gray this nuance that allows life to be a lot 
better for everyone in society and in our communities. Yeah, I yeah, I really like this. This is um so there's something in this then, right? That where I think it's it's you know when we we're talking about change and how do we change and how like uh, you know you were saying even how do you get systems to change um, and then you know even just remarking on your own change and how intrinsically and uh, connected that was even just to connection and and you know even this really kind of almost like formative or, or transformative experience and seeing these men express their vulnerability and then even to reflect on yourself and go, fuck, am I doing this in my life? Like, um, I, I think there is something really powerful about an exposure to the genuine inner workings of humans. Like, you know, it, it's one thing to just read about stuff in psychology and, you know, like a lot of intellectual stuff is in one ear out the other in terms of it being embodied wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. But when we're around this all the time, I think it's so much, like, I think a, such a unique insight is like, as you're saying, like, oh, wow, this person could be in for X, Y, or Z, but geez, he actually seems like a pretty decent bloke. Like, I know they made this mistake. And then because I think so much of us kind of live in this little cocoon where we separate ourselves from everyone else and our own inner world from everyone else's inner world so we just think that like you know someone could look at your life and go oh wow she's doing this iron man she's published a book she's done gone gone and done the skiing now she's writing this other book wow she has life completely figured out all the time but you're saying like oh no i have to you know this is a this is a constant kind of work in progress accepting myself (laughs) work in progress exactly but we just I, i i honestly think that's one of the things that hinders us from getting to that place of peace within ourselves is that we don't have the community around us very often where it's either reflective, transparent, honest, and genuine, perhaps. Definitely. And, um, and this has been a big thing for me. So when, when I published this book, like if you read the book, you'll realize like it's evidence, it's rational. Like I'm not, I'm not kind of just shouting and saying like free all the criminals at all, but Like if you, if you just look at the headlines, that's what you could take from it. And I was really anxious that I was just going to get just hate for this. I was going to get so much like they should be locked up. Like what about the pedos, da, 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 all this stuff. Like I went on GB news to promote this book at one point and I was absolutely like, this is just going to be horrible. And there's been no kickback. There's been like no negativity And I think once you get over that fear that people are going to hate you or shout at you or disagree with you, you realize that actually everyone is like a lot nicer than maybe the headlines or maybe social media or maybe even our politicians give us credit for. I think humans are intrinsically all right to each other and nice. And that's, that's kind of the the idea I've been talking about a lot recently. I I spoke to a group of volunteers last week and, and asked them to really go out into their communities and kind of be ambassadors for the organization they work for. Like they don't have to be embarrassed or keep quiet about working as prison volunteers. They should be the people going out, starting meaningful conversations in their communities and, and not to fear that, not to fear having a conversation because I don't think you I think you rarely experience 
a real backlash if you approach people with like openness, honesty, willingness to listen. Yeah. You you usually get that back from people. I find. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree. Like it's almost like uh, vibrating at a certain frequency or something like that. Like it 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 it, it opens uh, it opens possibilities or or potential discussions. The the uh, the idea though, um, you know this this kind of sense of just. I think it's really important to understand the complexity of people and the nuance of people. And, you know, in even if it's your own self-exploration, whether it's initially through therapy or, you know, whatever whatever method anyone may take, um, and then seeing that complexity in other people, I think a lot of the, the judgment falls away. Like, you know, I, I know I'm more than capable of being the bad guy in people's stories and like uh, equally the good guy in other people's stories. And and I know even in my own life, there's times where I can, I, I see it in myself, you know, like uh, someone could see me in my most loving, caring moment, or they could see me on a rant and they'd be like, if you only saw that one example of me, you have two completely different versions of me, yet they're all a part of me. And I, I don't know, I think there's just this really lovely idea that if you, if you share the personal stories of people, like it's easy to hate uh, labels, um, yeah. but it's not very hard. It's not very easy to hate people. Like I, I do agree with you that kind of sense that if we do open up to each other a little bit, people are less. And if you present them with something true or transparent, people are less resistant to it. Like I, I think there's a real opportunity in that for people in in redeeming themselves and indeed redeeming themselves in the eyes of other people as well. And I'm not just referring to prisoners or, or in people incarcerated, just ourselves in our own relationships as well. Yeah, I think this trying to approach people with compassion and kind of giving them the grace and space to, um, to be their whole selves rather than this one black or white image that, you have of them and and kind of the same with yourself giving grace and space to yourself that that you um you are not wholly one thing or wholly another thing and you can hold conflicting opinions you can be unsure of how you feel about things you can enter into conversations without knowing the answer um, and that's okay um and then with other people with with your friends your family your community whoever you kind of find yourself coming to the answers collectively by talking with people i think yeah i you know I, it's it sounds remarkably simple when we put it like this doesn't it but it's like it's bloody difficult to be vulnerable like oh my god man therapy's not it's not a walk in the park even like for me um i yeah. think it it's allowing yourself to be vulnerable is what what you need to do to go out into the world and and be a part of your wider world and put yourself out there for the things you believe in or like all of that takes huge vulnerability and that's incredibly uncomfortable and not very nice to begin with I think um, yeah yeah but I, but like everything, I guess, and like much of the training you do as well, and like you know, it's it's all a, it's all like a repetition, right? Like you know, in a lot of ways, like in terms of trying it once, and you know, I I think there's something really beautiful about the idea of if there's a if there's a basement classroom in a prison where, where men are being vulnerable with each other. 
um surely uh surely we can all give it a shot as well you know yeah i mean this is kind of the i know the i don't usually tell the prison horror stories but like this classroom was so bad like we found dead cockroaches in it um there was times when i couldn't have the lessons because the toilets flooded the classroom and there was literally like human excrement on my floor and i just looked at this as like this metaphor for like these guys are spending their time like cleaning up shit instead of like doing the work on themselves and this is the prison system um but yeah it's it was bloody horrible and it was disgusting and if they can do it like i think we should all try to give it a go yeah the um you know i I love this uh through the course of this conversation just kind of talking initially about how do we how do we change? How do societies change? How do we change on the macro? How do we change on the individual? Um, your own kind of exploration with that question yourself, like in terms of, well, the things that you learned from the the men's circle in the prison um, about vulnerability around authenticity, um, your own your own exploration with with therapy and and kind of coming into acceptance and peace with maybe things that we are trying to change about yourself or even resist in in terms of who or what you are um but then this this idea of like that this change or this acceptance of ourselves kind of gets a a bit easier just in terms of connecting with other people having a community around us not only as a as something to to contribute towards like clearly you're talking about there with the campaign campaigning work in prisons all this sort of stuff but just a group of people almost to to be vulnerable with to be honest to be transparent with and then in in seeing their flaws and how we still accept uh, whoever may be in our lives that we see their flaws and we still accept them that we can kind of return some of that compassion or kindness to ourselves mm-hmm. um then like you know just the also i think as well just the the idea of the wisdom and intelligence that we can see everywhere and and just to you know you're mentioning there just not looking at life in such with such an absolute lens like even for not just in judgments of other people, but just to be cognizant when we're making our own decisions. Like there's lots of decisions I've made in my life that I'm maybe 65, 35 on or even 51, 49. It doesn't mean that that decision uh, defines me. It, it could have been a lot more gray than it was black or white. Yeah. Just, I, and I love this idea then too that you were kind of sharing of just the willingness to to blow up your life every so often, even if it's, Planned I mean, yeah, they, thankfully for me, this has been one of the joys of ADHD. They've worked out incredibly well. Like <laughs> everything's, everything has somehow miraculously been okay with all these like big stupid decisions I sometimes make. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not so stupid after all. Right? Uh, maybe, you know what? Maybe it is actually that part of me that goes like, now nah, I'm going to, I'm going to change. I'm going to do this very impulsively is actually like the authentic part doing what I'm meant to be doing maybe because it feels like I'm on that path it feels like it yeah I I uh I that 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 uh, resonates with my experience of life <laughs> to be continued in terms of yeah. how it's going I'll see but just then like you know a huge part of this is is also what you're discussing is is just around this idea then of kind of self-acceptance and then also this idea as well of removing life doesn't always have to be as adding and improving things uh it can be about us stripping back and finding the person that we are always under were underneath it all and it kind of just speaks to what you just said there about authenticity just um look with all that you've shared angela i've I've really i've really enjoyed your perspectives and and uh and and your process and your journey in this conversation but as i have a 
a habit of uh, finishing these conversations with it's with the question of uh, what is a good life for you Angela oh gosh and I still don't know if I have a an answer for this I think a good life for me is trying your best to leave the world in a better place than you found it um, and I think my way of doing that I have found is through the connections I have with other people yeah I think it's um you're the second person in a row I've uh, just in another unpublished interview that's that's literally said that um, oh, no. <laughs> 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 oh, maybe 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 that's it maybe this is the the answer no no to because it, but it, but it, but I do like I, I think um I think there is something deeply truthful about it like I know there's that study by Harvard where they have the longest study in history where it comes everything is almost predicated on human relationships but there's just something about it almost that we we know is inherently true and yet we we don't kind of orientate our lives or we don't prioritize our lives around this thing we still kind of think we have to go off and 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 win the trophy and come back to the group and then we'll be accepted mm -hmm. but really i think there's much like with our own personal relationship of stripping ourselves back to who we were in the first place i also think there's this this part like when we strip life back we do see that that is the that is the part that sustains us or, or fulfills us the most. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I, was, I wasn't saying <laughs> wrong answer. Go again. <laughs> I, I just think I, I, I think it's it is just it is it is unfortunately that profoundly simple and for some reason so complicated for us to accept. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the it's the struggle of finding your own way to that conclusion or to, yes. to your own conclusion as well. And, and it looks so different to different people. And, and I think that's where the, maybe the problems come because we try and copy other people's ways of getting there instead of being truly authentic to our own path to it. Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's very true as well, as far as how, how I perceive or how I've experienced life to this point. Look, Angela, I've I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Um, I'm very grateful for the time that you took here with us on on the the What Is a Good Life podcast, and and I'll also be looking forward to this new book as well. I, I think it's um, I'm, I wish you all the success that you probably don't need with uh, with it as well. Oh, thank you so much. It's been it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much.